title of my sermon this morning is The Lord's Supper, Part 1, Proper Worship of God. Proper Worship of God. In 2008, nature photographer, British nature photographer David Slater was in Indonesia to photograph the critically endangered monkey called, and here we go, Celebes Crested Macaque, I believe is how you pronounce the monkey's name. I'm just going to call him a monkey. Slater says that while taking photos of this monkey, one of the animals grabbed the photo or the camera and started taking pictures of himself, meaning the monkey took selfies. Whether this is true or not is unknown, but nonetheless it led to a rather interesting uh, dispute. After publishing the photos, Wikipedia got a hold of them and put them on their website without paying Slater. Slater then sued Wikipedia. Wikipedia's defense was that since the monkey took the pictures, and since the monkey's not a human, then those pictures cannot be copyrighted, and thus they are public domain. In December of 2014, ironically, the United States Copyright Office agreed with Wikipedia, saying that yes, the monkey's not a human, the monkey took the picture, you can't copyright the picture. Many legal experts in the United States and the United Kingdom believe that eventually Slater's gonna, it's gonna work out in Slater's, uh, for, for his good. Um, because in reality, I mean, he did still orchestrate the photography of taking pictures of these monkeys. But that's not where the legal disputes end for Slater and his monkeys. In September of 2015, PETA put their noses into the discussion. So the People for Ethical Treatments of Animals. Uh, let's see. They filed a suit against Slater and his publishing company on behalf of the monkeys, saying that since the monkeys took the picture, then the monkeys should be given copyright of those pictures and the proceeds of selling the monkeys' image and likeness. Thank God a judge did not see it that way and ruled against Peter later, um, just last year, saying that a monkey cannot own a copyright of the images since the monkey's not a human being. Uh, Peter appealed but then ended up settling out of court with Slater, who agreed to give some of the money that he made. He donated it to wildlife organizations. In the end of it all, Slater says that the whole thing ended up costing about, about 10,000 pounds, which equals about $13,000. He says that he is now broke and considering other careers. So disputes between other human beings, and in this case non-human beings, are never a fun thing to have. It is sad that we cannot just all, like, get along. In reality, we don't. We always argue, we always fight. Even worse is the fact that there are quite frequently arguments and disputes amongst Christian people. We argue all the time, even as Christians. This is especially true, or was especially true, within the church in Corinth. This morning, we are going to talk about... Overcoming disputes in order to find proper worship of God. Overcoming disputes in order to find proper worship of God. But before we do, let's take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you now for the chance you've given me to declare your word. I ask that you guide me now as I dig into this 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I ask that you guide each and every one of us in our hearts and our minds. Allow your spirit to influence us and allow your spirit to help us recognize that you are there and that you're always there. Help us understand what the Word says, help us apply it to our lives, and help us walk out of here uh, closer to you as a result of your Word. In your name, amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So, since the third Sunday of March, 
we've been making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. This, this technically the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Because remember the first letter he wrote, we no longer have a copy of. So this is the first of the writings of Paul to the church in Corinth that we have copies of. As we have already studied, there are many issues, there were many issues within this church. They had quite a few problems taking place. Today, these issues will be brought into full focus as we begin a three to four week study. I haven't figured out how long it's going to take me through this section of scripture which talks about the Lord's Supper. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to make a statement. There is the statement in the blanks. And if you have your bulletin, there are some blanks in the bulletin. You can fill in the blanks and then give the bulletin to somebody else and they can learn something. So I'm going to make a statement. And it's actually one I made last week, so you might even remember it. Which will make a clear point regarding proper worship of God. So, the first blank. Divisions within the church. Divisions within the church. The major problem or issue within the church in Corinth, according to the Apostle Paul, was that there were factions dividing the church. Let's look at verse 17 to 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 17 to 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. Then verse 19. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you you. So if we zoom back to verse 2, if you go back to verse 2 of chapter 11, you will see that Paul praised the church because they remembered him in everything and hold firmly to the traditions which he had taught them, the things that he had taught them. Now in verse 17, Paul's going to go in the opposite direction. Paul is not praising the church. He's going to give them the shellacking I talked about last week. He's going, he's going to lay it on to them. Why? As you see in verse 17. Because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Come together is in reference to worship. More specifically, it's in reference to the partaking of the Lord's Supper. They come together to fellowship and to have the Lord's Supper. And in doing so, they are not worshiping correctly. They are not properly worshiping God. And we're going to get into this a little bit more in a moment. Now, first of all, let's look at verse 18. Paul says that divisions exist among them when they come together to worship God. The Greek word used here for divisions comes from the noun schisma. Schisma. It's actually where we get the word schism from. and has the root meaning of to cleave. So as in cutting or tearing. The root verb form of this word is used 11 times all in the Gospels and the, uh, in the Book of Acts. And it's all in reference to cutting or tearing, to, to dividing from that perspective. But it, again, dividing with the reference of cutting. And that's going to make a lot of sense in a minute. The, uh, the idea here, of course, is, as the New American, trans, uh, New American Standard Bible translates, is dividing. Sometimes dividing things up is a good thing. We divide up the kids every Sunday morning. As much as I love my children, it would be hard for me to preach if they were in here. I mean, they, I mean, especially Katie, she wanted me to be holding her the whole time or something like that. Sometimes you need to divide the group up. You know, when we do our Bible studies, we divide the group up, or we try to. Because it's better to teach them on their level, on different on the age of the physical age or even the spiritual age of an individual. Now, I don't think this Greek word in this context is referring to a positive situation at all. It's not referring to a positive outcome of dividing. 
dividing, and really what he's talking about is dividing as a result of tearing apart. So we talk about even cutting. You know, you cut a piece of meat, or if a doctor's going to cut you open, they're, gonna, they're not going to tear you open, they're going to cut you open. What the Corinthian Christians were doing was tearing themselves apart. They were tearing apart the body of Christ. Now, verse 19, kind of, he looks at it from a different perspective. He gives us a different word. He says, factions among us, or among them. The Greek word used here for factions is the noun, or comes from the noun, hyresis. Hyresis, which has the meaning of the act of taking, of capturing. And the literal meaning is one of an army storming a city and taking hold of that city, capturing that city. The root verb, so like where it comes, going all the way back to the beginning of this word, the root word, which is always a verb, means to take for oneself, to prefer to choose, and has the literal meaning of electing. So we just had election day, we didn't have to vote on anything, at least I didn't think we had to vote for anything, but other places they voted for stuff, and they chose the people they wanted representing them. They, They made these decisions. It could also mean dissensions arising from diversity of opinion and aims. The only benefit here, now of course, so we have factions, and Paul's saying the only benefit, as you see at the end of verse 19, the only benefit of these divisions and factions is the fact that those amongst them who are walking right with God have now become very apparent. It's very clear to see who's doing what God wants them to do and who's not. So what is Paul's point? The church was broken, very clearly. They were divided on many issues. Here's a couple of them. If you remember back, they were divided on who their leader was. You know, they said, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter. They're divided on marital and sexual relationships. They were divided on lawsuits. They were divided when it came to what food they were allowed to eat. They were divided when it came to their freedoms as Christians. And as of last week, as we studied, they were divided as to whether or not a woman should be should cover her hair. When, or cover her head when she is worshiping, and thus whether a man should not cover his head when he is worshiping. The Corinthian church had cracks all over its metaphorical walls. Their building, like their, their metaphorical building of the body of Christ within their church was falling apart. Not a good deal. First Corinthians chapter, 10, or chapter 1, verse 10, Paul clearly tells them this is something they shouldn't be doing. Right off the bat from the beginning of his letter, he says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree in that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. He's telling them, don't divide, but come together. Don't divide apart, you come together as one. And of course they chose not to do that. He tells the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Christians are called to come together. We're not called to be divided by nationality. We're not called to be divided by economic situation. We're not called to be divided by gender. We're called to be united by Jesus Christ. Christians are called to be one with one another. What good does arguing and fighting do within a church to our testimony, to our witness, or to the witness of an individual person? What are people outside of the church? Like we sang the song before, they will know we are Christians by our love. If all we're doing is fighting, guess what? They don't know we are Christians by our love. They know we are not walking right with God by our actions. And that's not a good thing. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. 
So keep your finger here in uh, the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians and go to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read a couple sections out of this, uh, this book that Paul wrote sometime after he wrote 1 Corinthians to the church in Ephesus. Which was across, I'm trying to remember the name of the sea. It was across the, the little the, the sea that was there. I want to say the Aegean Sea, but I might be wrong, so don't quote me on that. So Galatians, not Galatians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6 to start with. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That right there doesn't sound like the Corinthians. That's kind of the point I'm getting at. Now move over, go ahead and move down to verse 11. And now he's going he's to give that, uh, that amazing, um, the amazing passage about the ministers, about pastors within the church and, and apostles. Uh, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And pastors and teachers are not divided, that's together. It's almost like a teaching pastor is what it really should refer to here. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then verse 14 to the end here is really the key. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the true truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Christians need to work together. I mean, if we're fighting in this church, we're not doing good for the community. We're not reaching out for Jesus. We're not doing good for Christ. Forget about anyone else. We're not doing good for God. As Christians, we need to work together. Now, this also brings up a question for me. What, what does it say about Christian denominations? Because there are a lot of Christian denominations out there. A lot of us are all on the same page. But we still are divided by denominations. I want to say that I just don't think Paul would have been for denominations. I don't think that he wants denominations. With that in mind, they're here to stay. They haven't gone away. They're here. There's only so much you can do about them. And as a result, I just don't necessarily think we can also say that a denomination is wrong. I mean, God ordained it. He's allowed it to happen. With that in mind, as Christians, we need to work together. We need to strive to be one with our fellow Christians, even if they're not necessarily from the same church we are. Christians of all denominations need to work together for the common good and the cause of Christ. We need to work together in the spread of the gospel message. If we don't, again, we're not doing any good for Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 to 5. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to
to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. The thought I had was how that is so relevant, not only for our little group of Christians, but also for maybe the denominations of the churches within our town. I mean, there are things that we do that other churches in our town don't do, and then vice versa. We all work together, though, for the common good of telling people about Jesus. That's really the point here. Divisions and factions within a church do nothing but divide and fracture that church. That word factions really means the word fracture. You're breaking the church. And I was looking for a good story about a church split, and this is one I found kind of humorous. So there was a church, they were having a potluck picnic, so they had this big, long table, that has all this wonderful food on it. There were these two women who didn't particularly care for each other. They each decided to make fried chicken, that particular potluck picnic. So they bring in their fried chicken. One puts it on one end of the table, the other puts it on the other end of the table. And then comes that gullible pastor who he's just, he just wants something to eat. He's not really thinking of who brought the food. So he goes to one end of the table, grabs that piece of chicken, takes a bite out of it, and exclaims before everyone that this is without a doubt the best chicken he's ever eaten before. Before he can finish chewing his food, you have half the church pick up, pack up their food, and head on out. <coughs> Within a week or so, the whole church had split. And I don't know if that's a true story or not, but that, that's why, you know, Baptists eat food, but I don't know, maybe we need to make a list of what we're bringing so we don't uh, jump on each other or something, I don't know. Christians need to do their best to avoid causing divisions within the church and live in harmony as the body of Christ. We are one in the body of Christ, we're not supposed to be divided in the body of Christ. The only way we can do this is through the power of God and the power of studying His Word. So, the first part of the statement we are forming today is divisions within the church, and now we're going to finish it up. Divisions within the church hinder our worship of God. Hinder our worship of God. The consequences or results of these divisions were a hindered worship of God. It affected their worship of God. Look at verse 20 and 21. We're going to go all the way to verse 22, but I'm going to start with verse 20 and 21. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Lord's Supper here. So verse 20 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Therefore, when you meet together, meaning when you come together for worship, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one is hungry and another is drunk. So let's pause there. So again, therefore, again, as a result of the divisions within the church... They're not meeting together for genuine worship. They're meeting together in a, in a, in a hindered worship, I guess is exactly what I'm using. An affected worship. It's not a proper worship of God. It's one that is affected by the arguments and the disagreements they are having within the church. When the Corinthians gather together for worship and fellowship, they are gathering together for selfish reasons instead of Christ-centered reasons. Now look at verse 22. Let's finish the text for this week. What... Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you not or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. Very powerful statement. He's saying, uh-uh, you're doing nothing good right now. This is a big no-no. He is not happy. So I'm going to read, well, at least I'm going to try to read from the, uh, what they call the Bible Knowledge Commentary, one of the commentaries I use, and I personally just feel that this explained the Lord's Supper thing, and I, I'm tempted to just kind of paraphrase it. More or less, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it. 
when Jesus initiated the Lord's Supper, it would seem as though that it was divided into two sections. And Paul clearly says that. So if you look at your Bible in the 11th chapter here, and you move on ahead a little bit to where Jesus starts to speak, and for pretty much what I'm going to talk about next week. In verse, where to go? Verse 24, it says, And when he had given thanks. So he had just prayed. We pray before we eat. So it would seem as though that he broke the bread at the same time he prayed to bless the meal that they were eating. And then if you look a little bit, uh, a little bit lower when it talks about the cup, he said, after supper. So, I mean, this does not mean that they were divided, but most people believe that the, the two parts of communion, or the Lord's Supper, were divided into two different parts of, of this particular worship celebration. One before the meal, one after the meal. They broke the bread, and they had the bread element of communion before the meal, and they had the, 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 the grape juice or the wine after the meal. By the time Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians, the Lord's Supper had been celebrated slightly differently. We had two different ways of looking at this. You had what they would call the agape meal, which was this big old meal, big fellowship. That's why you know the early church was Baptist, because that's all we do is eat. So that's what was taking place in this, this context. They were eating a meal. They were fellowshipping. Following that meal, they partook in what they call, and I'm going to make sure I pronounce this right, the Eucharist. Eucharist. The Eucharist which was another word for the Lord's Supper or communion. They would partake in the actual uh, the Lord's Supper, the bread, and, and, the, and the wine of the Lord's Supper. The, the Greek word used here for Eucharist literally means Thanksgiving. I mean, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving in a couple weeks. The communion meal was called, again, agape. And, of course, that Greek word agape means love. It's the same word used in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he says love is this, love is that. You know, all the different things that love is. So... What bothered Paul about the, the Corinthian celebration was that the agape meal had become an occasion not marked by love for fellow Christians, but one of self-centered indulgence. In the subsequent development of the church, the celebrations came to be divided, possibly on the mistaken assumption that Paul had, um, had advised the Corinthians to do so. As in, like, we don't typically put communion, we put it during our worship service, not during a potluck. I mean, I'm planning, we're going to have a Christmas party. I think part of our Christmas party is going to be partaking in communion. Because why not? I think that's what the Corinthians were supposed to be doing. They weren't doing it properly. They were not worshiping right. This is really the truth of it all here. The Corinthians were gathering for their meal. And this group of Corinthians was a very diverse group of people. You had some rather well-off individuals, people that weren't affected by the persecution and oppression that, that was coming about as a result of Christianity. These were people that brought their meal and they ate. They didn't think twice about it. But they weren't sharing with the rest of the group. And there was a large group of people within the church that were very not, that weren't particularly well off. They were in a different economic perspective. And as a result, these were the people that were being forgotten. So you have one group of people having a big old party to the point where it says they were getting drunk. The Greek word literally means intoxicated. So whatever was going on at this church, there were some serious issues going on at this church. Whether or not you believe it's okay to drink or not, you probably shouldn't drink in church is really the point. But what I'm getting at here is you had this divide and it was yet another division. If we had a big long list of divisions within the church, now we can add economics, financial division. Some people are well better off than other people. And that's just, that's not going to happen. That's, Paul doesn't like that. He, didn't, he was not okay with that. And, and, and that's where the issues really arise. So here's the point. Christians need to worship God properly and with reverence. Christians need to worship God properly and with reverence. 
The Samaritan woman at the well, I think, is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. This woman was married multiple times, and the man she was currently living with, she was not married to. She was living in a, a sinful relationship with a guy that she was not married to. Jesus begins a conversation with this woman, which if we got into that, the conversation with this woman alone says how amazing Jesus is. The fact that he's willing to talk to a, a non-Jewish female who is living blatantly in sin says a lot, because a typical rabbi within the Jewish culture would not have done this. Any Jewish person would not have met with this woman. The debate became about where the proper place to worship God was. The woman, being a Samaritan, believed it was supposed to be on the top of Mount Gerizim. 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 I'm making sure I say it right. Of course, the Jewish people believed that the proper place to worship God was the temple in Jerusalem. Of course, Jesus had a different plan on all of this. John chapter 4, verse 21 to 26. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming and is and when okay, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, meaning Jews, worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Uh, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will declare all things to us. And I always just wonder what the face of Jesus looked like at this point. He had to have a grin, thinking, oh, oh you in for a surprise. Because then he says, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This woman's looking for her Messiah, and guess what? Jesus just said, you found him. You better look out. Worshiping God is not conditioned upon being in a specific location. That's the spirit element of this. We worship in spirit. We are not required to be within the walls of this church to worship God. We are not required to be of a certain economic background to worship God. We are called to worship Him whenever and wherever we are. Worshiping God is conditioned, though, on the truths found in the Word of God, in the inspired and inerrant Word of God. If you're worshiping in a way that does not line up with this, you have a problem. Paul would say the same thing. We are called to worship God in truth as well, in the realities of the Word of God, with our guideline right before us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. Beyond all these things, so Paul's telling the church in Colossae, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, into which, indeed, you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That word of Christ, that's the words Jesus said, meaning the word of God, same application here. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. That passage, compared to what the Corinthians were doing, that's what they were called to do. They weren't called to divide. They were called to teach in love. They were called to study the Word and to gather together worshiping God in, in a way that glorifies the Lord. The Word of God, the Bible, is our guide to worshiping God. This is it. This is the ba well, basic instructions before leaving earth. I say it all the time. This is your owner's manual. 
You can't live life without this. You just won't know how to. I mean, look at the world. Look at the people in this world. Look at the Christians who have walked away from maybe their faith, you know, that aren't reading their Bible. We don't know where to go. We get lost. If your mode of worship does not line up with the Word of God, what God's Word says, then you are not worshiping properly. Bottom line, there's no way around it. The worship of the Corinthians was self-centered, not Christ-centered. Our worship needs to be God-centered and must take place throughout our entire lives. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Worship God in spirit and truth with your entire being, with all your life. Make your lives 100% focused on God. You do this by living the Word before you preach the Word. Live the Word. Meaning live what this book says before you go telling other people what it says. I mean, what good am I if I was at the bar all last night? If I was sleeping around last night, what good am I? I'm nothing. I am, my words have no meaning to you. And the same is true of each and every one of us. If we don't live the word, meaning we don't do what this says, there's no need to tell anyone else about Jesus because they're not going to believe you. Your words are going to have no meaning to them. We worship God in spirit and truth in our entire lives by putting Christ on display through our words and our actions. We put Him on display. And remember what Maddie did remember a couple weeks ago, right? By praying to Him, by having an intimate knowledge of His Word, meaning the Bible, by going to church, there, there's the church, there's all the people, by the way, but there's the church, and by telling other people about Him. I, I've completely, I'm, I'm stealing her thing, I'm getting rid of the big three, but that, that's the point. We need to pray, we need to have a knowledge of His Word, and we need to be involved in church. You have to, that's the only way you can worship God. Worship God with all your life today. Let me close up. Oh, oh, I messed up already. Alright, that's the video, Rich. Make sure it's loud enough in a second. But um, The proper worship of God is one void of divisions within a local church as well as the universal church. That's the bottom line. The proper worship of God, as I said, divisions within the church hinder our worship of God. 13-year-old Seth Clark worked really hard throughout his final year at Atkin Grade School in the small town of Atkin, Illinois. And when he was named the salutatorian of his graduating class, he wanted to make sure that proper worship was given to the one he wanted to give 100% credit for all that he had done. He wrote a speech in which he referenced God, quoted the Bible, and even mentioned his Christian faith. But only hours before the graduation ceremony, he was told that he was not allowed to deliver that speech. A statement made by school superintendent Kelly Clark to the Benton Evening News says in part, As a public school, it is our duty to educate students, regardless of how different they or their beliefs may be. And then she continues, While students are welcome to pray or pursue their faith without disturbing school or infringing upon the rights of others, the United States Constitution prohibits the school district from incorporating such activities as part of school-sponsored events. And when the context causes a captive audience to listen or compels other students to participate. More or less, she said, you can't do it because everyone else might not want to hear it. This, as you can imagine, stirred up that small little town. There's only 2,664 people in that town as of 2010, and there's actually no longer a post office. The post office was gotten rid of in 2011, which I found odd because we have a post office. But 
Uh, while they do not have a post office, they sure do have a church, and a lot within that community go to this church. Many within this town decided that something needed to be done, and that's what they did. During the part of the ceremony where speeches were to be made, the audience was invited to the house across the street, where Seth was able to give his entire speech unedited, and this is part of the end of his speech. Oh, I messed up again. Oh, wrong way, wrong way. Here we go. I'd like to apologize to all of you who I've hurt at any time in any way. I'm sorry that I've said or done something to hurt you because you're all important and to God. I am far from perfect, but as quoted in 1 Peter 1.16, for it is written, Be holy as I am holy. This verse references God speaking in Leviticus chapter 11. <coughs> this is what I strive for, to be holy as God is holy. But because I'm human, I will fail and have failed against others. So this is why I apologize. Now, as I want to be holy, I want to challenge all of you to this as well, especially those who are still in school, or those who, as there is a lot of temptation in school today. Even more so, those in high school are moving up to high school. We will face many trials for our faith, and many temptations to fall into sin. But you can live holy with the help of God, even though we will fail. God will forgive us if we run to Him with humility and confess our sins. There will be many trials for believers, but we can overcome these trials by relying on God. So as you go back to work, school, etc., carry the words of God in your heart and be close to God in the time you were faced up road. Amazing. I wish I had that courage at, what, 13 years old, to be able to stand up for what I believe in and to go against the grain. Proper worship of God might even mean doing something, doing, might even mean worshiping, when other people might not want you to worship. And like I said, this kid had some serious guts. And he was willing to do so. My prayer is that each and every one of us would have the faith we would need that is similar to Seth's faith as we live a Christ-centered life and worship Him instead of ourselves and our own personal, instead of our own personal gain as well. I mean, that's the only thing we can possibly do. Is stand up for what we believe in and stay firm to what we believe in. And in doing so, we will be able to properly worship God by avoiding the divisions within our church that hinder us from our focus on Him. Let me close in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you for all that you've done. I ask that you bless us as we depart. Keep us safe. Keep us focused on you and allow us to know you are an amazing God. With you on our side, though, divisions will not exist. If we stay focused on you, Lord, we will not have arguments within the church that we cannot work out for the better of all. I thank you for this group that we have, that we have such a great group that love you so much. I ask that you just touch our hearts as we do our best to worship you these coming weeks, especially as we study the Lord's Supper and as we enter the Christmas season. I ask that you just help us remember you and thank you for all that you've done and know that you're an amazing God and that with you on our side, we can overcome all things. In your wonderful name, amen.